Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Friday, the 14th, not the 13th. We missed it by one day. No unlucky Friday today, lucky Friday today. Friday the 14th, luckiest Friday there is. Why? I don't know, I just made it up. Keep that in mind. People make stuff up all the time. It's going to apply to today's show, okay? Cool, because what we're going to do today is... Uh, in episode 763, we are not going to do a listener call show on a Friday. Because we did a listener call show on a Monday. I have a listener call show ready to go. I'm going to do that on Monday. I'm going to change that around a little bit. Do things a little bit differently. I did the listener mail show on Wednesday. I am going to break up the routine. And today, we're going to follow up on something I did yesterday. Something I've held off on a long time. Uh, many of you know I've lost a lot of weight, and I mean a lot of weight. As of last week, when I picked the dogs up, or actually early this week, when I picked the dogs up from the vet, stepped on the scale at the vet, which is a very accurate scale, uh, I have lost a total of 71 pounds since I lost corporate America, uh, which means I was a bloated 281. I am now a, for me, very slim 210. I know some people at two, uh, at 5'11", at 210, are pretty big guys. Um, I played football in high school at 190. So 210 at about 40 years of age is uh, pretty lean for me, and I will probably get down into the 200 range over the next few months very, very slowly. And I did that eating largely uh, protein and vegetable-based diet. And uh, I haven't talked about it a lot because there's been some comments about my weight, and I don't lecture people about things I haven't finished yet. And, well, I don't think I've finished. I think I've come a long way. And then recently, Brian Davis got on the show. I learned about Rob Wolf's book. I read Rob's book. And uh, it brought things to a point of clarity. So today I'm going to talk about paleo. And I'm going to talk about it from a different way than probably you've heard about it. And I'm going to talk about how can you be paleo and be a prepper. Uh, how can you store food and be a, pa- a paleo person. How can you homestead in a paleo manner. And I think you'll actually find out it actually simplifies things. It makes things easier, not more difficult. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today. MERS-radio.com. That's M-U-R-S, a little dash, and the word radio.com. I love MERS Radio because it allows me to have additional security around my home and additional communications at the same time, and that's pretty cool. I have motion detectors set up in a variety of sectors, and no, I will not tell you which sector is where or where they're even at, that tell me when somebody or something is moving around my property. And we have a secondary means of communications where myself, my wife, and anybody else at our homestead can communicate with what's going on. Check out Murr's Radio to see how to do that. And remember, Rob over there does not have a million different pieces of equipment. He has a very few select pieces of equipment. He knows them cold. And whatever you're trying to do, he will say, you do this by step one, two, three, and 4, or can't do that with my equipment. Much better than talking to somebody in India, reading a technical manual that you have in front of you that doesn't really help you because you called in the first place because the manual didn't help. That's why I like to deal with small companies. MERS Radio is a one-man show. It's about as small as it gets, but absolutely the best equipment and care for that type of thing you will find. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal. I call them the original survival podcast sponsor. Why? Because they were the first. 
Well, I finally said, okay, look, the show's big enough. We've got enough of an audience. I'm willing to take some of these people that have been talking to us and sending us stuff and stuff like that and say, here's a formal sponsorship package. Who wants it first? Safe Castle was us. So they signed up as a sponsor. They have no intention of going anywhere other than right here and being with us for a long time to come, folks. That's who Safe Castle is. They also have a great discount buyers program. Vic sells it every day to people for $29 for a lifetime membership. Discounts on everything he sells from that point forward. Great program. Lots of people buy it every day. If you're MSB here, member sport brigade here, you get it for free. That's another level of support. A great sponsor, great support. And what do they have? Just about anything you can think of for your prepping needs, from alternative energy to tactical to long-term storage food. You name it, Safe Castle has it. Also build some of the best hardened shelters you'll find anywhere in the world. Check them out today at prepared.pro. Best way to find all our sponsors, go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin. Remember, connect with me. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Check out the forum. Check out the gear shop. Do consider joining the member support brigade. You join the member support brigade. You support the show. That's it for today. Ending it quick because I want to get into this subject. I'm really excited about this. It's taken every bit of effort I could to hold off on actually talking about this and sharing this with you guys for as long as possible. When I came out with what I was doing and, 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 and showed you what I was doing, I wanted the results to be dramatic. If you look at the post I did yesterday, toward the end of it, I show a picture of myself weighing 281 pounds, sitting at an open camp just about a month after I left corporate America uh, in the winter uh, over a year ago. And then, if you scroll down, and I've actually lost weight since this picture, you see me standing next to Dave Canterbury in Denver. The difference is dramatic. I wanted it to be dramatic, so I wanted you to believe me. I also did not want to do this fast. I want you guys to understand that I did not go full tilt war with this thing overnight. I just simply stopped eating crap and kept eating, you know, some breads and things like that. And the weight slowly came off. And the longer I went, the less of the other stuff that I'm going to talk about not eating today, uh, I ate. And over time, I slowly migrated to a diet that was based on almost entirely meats, vegetables, seeds, nuts, and fruits. And that's pretty much what I eat today. And that might sound limiting, but in a second, I'm gonna get, I, I decided when I came in here today, one of the first things I needed to do was dispel the myth that basically this diet was eating bacon and steak. And that's all that it was. Bacon and steak are on the list. Uh, I don't even know if I put bacon on the list. How could I leave bacon off? Who knows? Uh, but what I did is I sat down and I just put the bullet list thing in Word and I filled up two pages as quick as I could off the top of my head. I'm gonna read that to you in a second. But, If you lose 80 pounds in like four months, odds are you're going to put the weight rate back on. What I'm doing is not a diet. I mean, that's the first and foremost thing I want you to understand. A diet is in our modern vocabulary. The, the word diet has been ruined. The word diet really means what does a person or thing eat? So what is the diet of the Eastern Gray Squirrel? Would be, you know, nuts and, and berries and, and what have you, right? What is the diet of the white-tailed deer, right? That's how the word is supposed to be used. But in modern America today, diet is a system that you eat by where you measure things and you control things with a desired goal. All right, so you can only have so many calories, you can only have so many of this, you have a points plan with weight, whatever it is. That's not a diet in, in the real world, but it is a diet in the way we've made the world. So I have to say that what I do is a lifestyle, not a diet. I don't have to think about portions. I, I want you to really understand this. I haven't counted calories. I haven't counted grams of fat. I haven't counted carbohydrates. I haven't counted anything. 
All I've done is make a decision about certain foods I will not eat. And let's go ahead and read the list now so that you can see what I do eat and understand the diversity that's there. So this is, I'm going to just blow through this list and you tell me if you have this much variety in what you eat, especially if you're big on the protein or the uh, tofu and the grains and breads. Here we go. This is what I might eat in a given month. Uh, beef, lamb, chicken, rabbit, quail, deer, duck, goat, squirrel, frogs, dove, pork, fish, shellfish, kale, broccoli, spinach, cauliflower, squash, sweet potato, onion, garlic, peppers, lettuce, amaranth, kohlrabi, mustard, watermelon, cantaloupe, apples, pears, peaches, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, oranges, lemons, limes, tomatoes, celery, carrots, parsnips, turnips, rutabaga, tomatillo, cilantro, corn, green beans, pomegranates, figs, grapes, lamb's quarters, dandelion greens, bamboo shoots, nettles, chestnuts, cashews, almonds, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds, cherries, raspberries, bok choy, cabbage, lemongrass, cucumber, artichoke, endive, leeks, parsley, shallots, beans, and like beets and their greens is what I'm saying there, chives, water chestnuts, sunchokes, celery root, plantains and bananas, mushrooms, yams, and cress, like watercress or Persian cress. How about that? Okay, do you think I'm going to get bored with that? Does that not sound like a pretty varied, highly nutritious diet? So yes, I might have a great big chunk. In fact, tonight, my friends from Texas, Brian and Kelly from ITS Tactical, are coming, and we have four beautiful pieces of grass-fed ribeye with nice marbling and fat. And I'm going to put that on the grill, and I'm going to char it, and the middle's going to be juicy and red, and the juices are going to flow off it. But those juices are going to flow into a great big pile of broccoli, asparagus, and a piece of grilled corn. All right, And there'll be a larger portion of hedge than there will be meat. And this is what I want you to understand about this. This is not about living on bacon And the people that say stupid stuff, and it's just stupid, like, uh, people want to believe they can eat Big Macs and be healthy. No. Big Mac is full of sugar. The Big Mac is full of additives and preservatives and chemicals that don't belong there. Uh, and it's wrapped in bread. And it's covered with a sugar-based sauce. All of those things are not on my list. And I want to share with you guys, if you haven't read the post from yesterday, what actually happened, how I really got totally switched on with this. The last piece of the puzzle that Brian Davis, Doc Fermenter, who I interviewed, and uh, Rob Wolf with his book put in place for me. Both of them kind of danced around the issue. And what they said was there are certain foods out there that are designed to be eaten. If you think about a blackberry, if you pick up a handful of blackberries and you eat them, there's seeds in them. And, and some of the seeds get crunched up and some of them get dissolved. Most of the seeds actually go into your stomach and pass through. If we go back to the world before toilets and flushing and sewer systems and even outhouses and privies to where people just dropped one in the woods like they still do in many places in the world, that berry seed in that manure, whether it's you or a deer that ate it, uh, acts as a, as a compost and a nutrient source and a new blackberry bush will often grow. Blackberry is designed to be consumed by human beings and other animals because it's designed to pass through the system, and it tastes good. I don't have to do anything to a blackberry to make it taste good. If I take a handful of wheat, especially when it's still in the shaft before I, before I thresh it and throw it in my mouth, I'll probably choke to death. Even if I thresh and I have a hard wheat berry, until I do something with it, like crack it or grind it or steam it, it doesn't taste good. It tastes like crap, and I can't eat it. And it has something that will, if I try to eat straight wheat, even if I just pound it up and eat it, eventually it'll make me sick. 
can eat tons of blackberries and bok choy and chestnuts and things like that without getting sick. I can only eat so much rice and grain and other things like that, white potatoes, and in their natural form, I almost can't eat them at all. One of the great ways to see the delineation here is potatoes. I eat lots of potatoes, sweet potatoes and yams. You notice they were on the list. I do not eat white potatoes anymore. Just don't do it. Uh, harder to grow, more susceptible to disease, and not as good for me. So space I would grow a white potato in, I now grow a sweet potato in. Here's the thing, though. If I take a sweet potato and I peel it, and I cut a nice thin slice off that, I pop that into my mouth. It actually tastes really good. I don't know if you've ever tried raw sweet potato. It's wonderful. Uh, the next time you're trying to cut down the cheese on your salad you're serving people, try this little trick. Get yourself a cheese grater. Get yourself a sweet potato. Grate up some, some uh, sweet potato on top of it. The mind sees what it wants to see. A lot of times you'll feed that to people. They'll think you gave them a, chow, a salad with some cheese on it. it. tastes really good. It doesn't taste like anything like cheese, but the mind sees what it wants. If we put food together in the right presentation, we can actually trick the senses. We could actually maybe include a little bit of cheddar that's a similar color, and they get a little bit of cheese flavor, and then they're completely convinced it was all cheese. But the big point there is sweet potato tastes good in its natural raw state. What about meat? Okay, I know a lot of you are going to cringe at this, but I have taken pieces of raw beef and eaten it. When I made the biltong video, I ate a piece to demonstrate that to you. Uh, it's not a good practice. There are many things in the modern uh, agricultural system that make meat potentially contaminated. There's other things in natural systems that potentially leave meat in a state where it could be contaminated with pathogens or something like that. And cooking does a lot to destroy those things. A lot of it's butchering practices. If you notice, you can eat beef rare, but it's not a good idea to make a rare hamburger because the meat, the outside of the meat's been exposed. When you cut a ribeye and you're cooking the outside, only that's been exposed to potentially uh, things that can cause some kind of contamination. But trust me, just trust me on this. If you slice a piece of beef, pick it up and eat it in its natural state, it actually tastes pretty good, it's pretty tender, and it will not make you sick unless there's something on it or in it that is a pathogenic organism. Right, The meat itself will not make you sick. You can eat all the raw meat you want if it was completely clean and pure. It will taste good and you will digest it just fine. Period. End of story. You can say you can digest it a little bit better when it's cooked or whatever and our acid ratios and our stomach have changed and all, that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that you will digest it, you will use it, it will become food. And for a long time, people didn't cook meat. We ate raw meat. Anybody that knows anything about fish knows that the same thing applies. I like raw clams, raw oysters. I love sashimi, right? Raw tuna, raw salmon, as long as it comes from salt water. So meat passes the test. And that's my epiphany. If you cannot eat it in its raw natural state, I don't eat it anymore. And that's it. That's my only rule. I don't worry about portions. I don't worry about sizes, uh, how much I'm eating or what ratios I'm eating. I eat what I want when I want. My results, again, 281 last winter, 210 this winter. I do not exercise. As in, one, two, three, four, one, one, two, three, four, two. I do not behave like a gerbil. All right? I don't do it. I don't get on treadmills and run like a gerbil in a wheel. I don't do jumping jacks. I don't do sit-ups. I don't do pull-ups. I don't do push-ups. I'm not saying they are in of themselves bad. I'm going to give you where I think they fit in in a bit. But I certainly don't sit around doing dips and crunches and other things like that. Um, 
Before I go on to how I exercise, I want to talk about something that came up. A lot of people asked about this yesterday, uh, alcohol and beer. Uh, my favorite alcoholic beverage is now a NorCal margarita. Those are in Rob Wolf's book. I'll tell you how you make them. You take about a, a, a two-ounce portion of a good tequila, and you take the juice of an, an entire lime. You put that together over ice, and then you add maybe about two to two ounces of, uh, of sparkling water. And not club soda or tonic water, just sparkling water. And uh, that's it. And I guess you could use a little triple sec if you want to. There's some sugar there, but a little bit of it probably wouldn't hurt. We don't do it. And that's it. And uh, But as far as beer, do I drink beer? You're damn right I drink beer. I like beer. It's one of my uh, guilty pleasures, let's call it that. Uh, but I don't sit down and drink a six-pack of beer. I'll have a beer here, a beer there. And I enjoy beer for what it is. And I know it's technically off the list. I try to stay 90 to 95% true to my list. If I go out on vacation and I sit down in a steakhouse and have some nice sourdough bread there, I'll have a piece of bread. And you know what, though? Here's the funny thing. When I occasionally do these things, it doesn't taste as good as I remember. We've become addicted to these sugars and starches. And as soon as we break the addiction for even a month, when you go back and eat them, they taste good, but they don't taste like anything like you remember. Your entire, you know, tasting profile changes. So I do cheat on occasion. Uh, I'm not living my life like some kind of food Nazi here. I'm not asking you to either. In fact, I want to make sure I get this out early in today's show. I don't care if you take every bit of information I give you today and say he's wrong and continue to eat tofu and soybeans and whatever. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. I am still going to occasionally talk about storing food. And I'm going to still say that it makes sense for a lot of people to store wheat and barley and beans and rice. I have wheat, barley, beans, and rice. I'm not going to throw it away. Hey, if, if things go wrong, that's food I can feed my neighbors. If I run out of the ability to support myself in a paleo lifestyle, it's a survival food. It's gruel. That's the way I look at it. If you want to eat gruel, fine. If you say you're healthy on gruel, fine. I believe your health could be optimized off of gruel. But if that's what you want in your life, I am not going to tell you not to do it. Now I want to talk to you about exercise. When I posted this yesterday, I got a lot of resistance to this. And I want to challenge you on one thing today. Anything you're naturally resistant to, that you're heavily into, understand that that's probably why you're resistant to it. You've, you've vested some portion of yourself into it. You have a personal attachment. I'm going to ask you to do something that's very hard for people to do today. Anything I cover, exercise or otherwise today, that you have a personal vesting into, I would like you to try an experiment for me. I would like you, while you listen to me today, to, to really just try to do this. Extract yourself from the situation as a personally involved subject and become a third-party observer, equally evaluating your opinion and my opinion side by side and determining whether maybe both of us have a point. Okay. Now, on the exercise, one of the people said, Huh, Jack, our, our, our paleo ancestors uh, did a lot more than walk around and play with their dogs. They walked everywhere, and they didn't have roads. And can you imagine the elevation changes and all? And this is where I have to be honest with you guys about what I mean by exercise and not exercising. I live in a place where my house is right at about a 1,000 feet of elevation. My neighbor's house is about 1,450 behind me. We pretty much walk up and down from there every day. And we get as much of a workout going up that hill as we do coming down, because when you're coming down in steep grades and gravel and rock and irregular terrain, and you're holding your feet like a different angle on every single step. This is not flat walking on a sidewalk. You're actually having to hold your body back when you're going downhill to prevent yourself from falling on your face. 
So you're getting a full body workout up and down. I walk my five acre property. I walk through it all the time, and there's not really a lot of easy ways to get there. It's steep, and uh, the places that I don't have cleared out, the way I get from one point to another is I follow the game trails. And I think this is something our friend yesterday was well-meaning on the blog was missing. Trails predate humans. As long as there have been hunter-gatherer societies, human beings have followed game trails. And if you follow game trails long enough, they become human trails. The game starts to use them less and start less starts to take peripheral trails. And then hunter-gatherers follow the peripheral trails when they're hunting. When you have big game, deer, elk, buffalo, whatever, moving through an area, they create pathways for you. There's also natural pathways like draws and spurs and saddles and ridgelines. And human beings have always followed those as well. The reason I go into this is I want you to understand what no exercise for me and playing with my dog is for me. Playing with my dog is, is playing with him while carrying, you know, probably my 15-pound light day pack, going up to that neighbor's place, chasing him around, having him chase me around, uh, you know, drinking water, throwing his toy for him, going up that hill, down the hill, chasing him into the woods, uh, running after him when he sees a deer, because I know if he keeps going, he's not going to come back. Uh, that's playing with my dog. It's not standing in my backyard like Arlington throwing a tennis ball for him. It's different. My garden has been driving my three-quarter ton pit, or my, my one-ton pickup truck over to the compost point and filling it up over and over and over again at, what, 40, 50 pounds a shovel load of compost, filling up an entire eight-foot by four-foot by four-foot high bed piled up over the rails in my pickup truck. Okay, so... The lifestyle I'm living, I say I don't exercise. And again, what I mean is I don't do one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and, and act like a gerbil. For some of you, you almost have no choice. right? It would have been impossible for me to live this lifestyle where I was in suburbia. Everything is flat. I'm not going to walk up a hill. right? So if you have to exercise, understand. But I believe if you can find a way to incorporate Active lifestyle, load-bearing, weight-bearing, hiking, that stuff is actually better for our bodies. It's what our bodies were designed to do. I don't care what you say. I don't care if it works. Your body was not meant to stand and do 50 dips in a row. It's not good for your joints. I don't care if you say it strengthens your joints. I'm sorry. I was in the military. I saw way too many people with blown knees and destroyed rotor cuffs in their shoulders. I'm telling you what repetitive motion does, and I believe if you're going to exercise, you're better off doing things the way the guys from Russia with the Sistema stuff do, empty lung conditioning and slow single repetitions. You do one push-up and take two minutes to do it, and it will do more for you and less damage to your body than doing a 100. I'm not going to go deep into that today. The information is out there if you want to go find it. Another way these guys exercise is through uh, empty lung conditioning. Get checked by your doctor. Make sure you're not going to die if you do this. But it would work like this. You take deep breaths, four or five, six in a row. Eventually you expel every bit of breath from your body. Uh, you're, you're sitting down prepared to do push-ups. Do as many as you can with your lungs completely empty. Your body goes into oxygen debt faster. You push your body to muscle failure faster because the, the muscles are not oxygenated. So you get the same muscle fatigue and failure with a lot less repetition, so you do less damage on the joints. This is what the Russians do. Uh, you can look at their record in the Olympics if you don't agree with the way they do it. But personally, I believe if you live in an environment where you can be physically active in load-bearing exercise on a daily basis by doing your, your basic functionality you're better off than exercising in any of the modern conventional 
concepts. 200 years ago, no one exercised. There was no such thing as modern exercise 200 years ago. 200 years ago, going back 200,000 years, people seemed to do okay. We go back 10,000 years and further, before the dawn of modern agriculture, I guarantee you if you would have told some guy to start curling two rocks, he would have probably picked them up and hurled one at you, hit you in the head and killed you and shut you up and went on about his life. Exercise in its modern form is a modern phenomenon. It is not how humans evolved. So yes, the guy that said, well, they walked up and down and there were elevations, correct. All right? But they walked everywhere they went. It is because we live in cubicles and cars and backyards and suburbia that we need exercise in its modern form. My statement is only get as close as you can to natural activities. Uh, you will do better uh, getting out in the woods, uh, chasing your dog around, than you will on a treadmill. And I don't care if you don't agree with me, you're free to use your treadmill if you want to. Um, but there are a lot of problems with modern exercise. Number one, and this is the thing, again, I learned this from, from Val, from the Russians, right? The way the cardio we do in America, we heat up our core, so our inner core body is at a higher temperature. That's not good for us. It damages our internal organs. You want, don't argue with me about it. You can argue with Val and, and, you know, spend a couple hours listening to this guy with all of the science that goes behind it and you'll understand that. Our ancestors ran after a rabbit and clubbed it in the freaking head. If a lion came after them, they ran away from that and climbed up a tree. Right? They didn't go out there and run a marathon. And you can tell me about these natives in Africa that run down gazelles by running it for days and days. And that's one-tenth of one percent of one one-hundredth of hunter-gatherer society that developed that technique the same way a different society developed a plow. It doesn't mean it's a natural thing. All right. Um, I want you to understand that a lot of what's going on today is based on belief systems, and beliefs are not facts. All right. I'm going to go somewhere that somebody's going to get upset with this. Please don't. It's just an analogy. It's like Hank Williams Jr. By the way, I'm going to play his song, Change, at the end of today's episode. Um, and when he made an analogy about, I think it was Boehner and, and Obama playing golf, was like Hitler and Churchill playing golf. He wasn't calling Obama Hitler. He was saying it was ridiculous that if these people were really as opposed to each other as they claim to be, that they'd be out playing golf together, right, in the middle of this disaster of our nation. So that's what I'm doing here. This is an analogy because it will hit home and it will make a point. Um, there are people that are of the Buddhist faith, right, that believe that every life comes back reincarnate and progresses up a chain. This is their faith. This is their belief. There are people of the Christian faith that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that when we die, we are judged and we either go to heaven or hell. Okay, Both people are good, noble people with a belief system. The beliefs are in conflict with each other. Now, some people will say the beliefs can actually be reconciled based on interpretation. Those are the third group of people. That's a Buddhist Christian. The diehard Christian, the diehard Buddhist, their beliefs are in conflict with each other. From their standpoint, both sides can't be right. All right? Now, I'm not here to resolve that conflict because that is a faith-based internal spiritual conflict that we almost resolve for ourselves. And whatever you believe, I believe is okay. But when it comes down to things like diet and nutrition, and when it comes down to anthropology, 
Like, we dig people up that have been in the ground for 50,000 years. I'm sorry, there were people here 50,000 years ago. And we can look at their bones and the composition of their bones, and we know what they ate. So, I've had people say things like, well, I believe as long as there's been people, there's been farming of some sort. Well, the problem is that what you believe doesn't change the facts. right? The facts are based on the research and the development. And that will turn people to say, but Jack, the research and development and facts today of the medical industry tell us, yes, they tell us GMO corn is safe to eat, that there's no reason to worry about atrazine and Roundup in our food supply. They tell us it's good to give our children speed because they have ADD. Okay? They tell us all kinds of things that everybody out there in this audience, I would believe, could pick out 10 and go are completely in conflict with reasonable fact. Because they are funded by money. Why do you think eating your gruel is any different? Right? It's good for a society to believe eating gruel is good for them. Because if we give them gruel, it's cheap to feed and control them. And we can downplay who they really are. Alright? That's, that's what I believe based on scientific fact. And I can look at... Chem chemistry, I can look at biology, and I can look at anthropology, and I can point to proof points all along the way. I'm not here to give them to you today. I'll tell you this, if you get the Paleo Solution by Rob Wolf, the first 60% of the book is nothing but science, biology, and anthropology. It is airtight, you can read it, and then argue if you want to. And if you argue, you're going to argue with yourself, because when a dude loses 71 pounds... Right, eating the very food. This is the important part. Because people are saying, well, you can build a healthy diet around anything. No, not, not, not according to all of this wisdom that says I'm wrong, right? Science in its modern form and med medical science specifically in its modern form and government backed and paid for science in its modern form say ribeye steaks make you fat. But I ate ribeye steaks and now I'm not fat anymore. Okay? That's where I'm talking about a belief versus a fat. The two sides are in conflict. They both can't be true at the same time because they are diametrically opposed to each other. And I'm sitting here as proof to you that one works, which means the other one can't be true. I want to put in perspective to you, for you guys what 70 pounds looks like when it's pure fat. You know, if you go to the grocery store and you go back to the dairy case, where the butter and margarine is, those big tubs of margarine, that's five pounds of fat. Next time you're in a grocery store, stack 14 of them up. That's what came off my body. Eating the food they claim makes me fat. 14 of those plus a, you know, a one pound pack of butter on top of the pile. That's how much I lost in 18 months. Very slowly, in a very real way, as my body restructured itself. The other thing that we have from conventional medical wisdom is the following. This is going to be the one that challenges you more than anything else today. If you can, give me the next two and a half minutes of full focus to listen to the potential reality that something you believe to be true is wrong. Medical science and nutritionists tell us today, it's just calories in and calories out. If you've lost weight, that means you're burning 25 and you took in two. And if you do that long enough, you'll lose weight. That's not untrue. If you really are burning 25 and you're only taking in two, you will lose weight. But they would also have us believe that if you're burning two and you take in 2,500, 100% of those 500 extra calories must be converted to fat by your body and stored long term. And if we do that every day, we're adding 500 calories worth of fat buildup to our body on a daily basis. I'm telling you that's only true if the body's not running optimally. What I've learned is that when you have a body running at optimum metabolism and nutrient intake that's healthy, 
and you take in excess calories, it's not required that your body make them into fat. Your body can expel the excess calories as waste. I'm telling you right now that based on what I eat, I am taking in more calories on a daily basis than I am burning. I'm telling you I've been doing it for 18 months. It's not a huge amount. It's not like I'm shoving 6,000 calories into my body and burning two. When you eat the food I describe, it's impossible. You can't do it. You get full. You stop eating and you feel full for a long time. When you have protein and fat, and I eat high fat meats, right? Not super lean cuts. When you eat that and you eat till your body says, okay, dude, enough, you don't want to eat for hours. And if you don't put sugar in there, you don't get cravings to eat for hours. But you, if you're eating ribeye, you look at the caloric count of a 12 to 14 ounce ribeye steak, and you throw down three of those a week, you're exceeding your caloric burning requirements. So how can I exceed that number and lose 70 pounds? How is it possible? There is only one way it's possible. And that is that the body fed properly takes excess caloric intake and expels it as waste in urine and feces. And here's a disgustingly gross uh, research project I'd like to see somebody do. I'm certainly not going to do it, but I'd love to see a couple lab coat guys get together and do this. Take two people, that, in fact, take two groups of people, so you have a large uh, sampling form to do scientific method properly, of the same body types and size and weights, and feed one a paleo-based diet and the other a nutritionist nirvana beans and rice and crap diet, gruel diet like I call it, with lean meats and everything, just the way Dr. Oz would tell you to eat on TV. Okay? Take those two people, overfeed them. If they need 2,000, feed them three. Or if they need 2,000, feed them 2,800. Push them somewhere between 500 to 800 calories beyond what they should be burning based on their base, uh, basal meta metabolic rate, their BMR, uh, and their activity level. So both groups should be gaining weight. At the end of that experiment, I'll bet you that you'll find the people on the gruel did gain weight. The people on paleo actually probably lost body fat percentages. And if they gained weight, they gained the muscle mass. Here's the gross part of the experiment and the part that this is a hypothesis. So it's a belief, not a fact. But it, I bet it is a very good hypothesis. If we analyze the waste product stream from both groups, I think you would find a higher caloric value of waste in the paleo group. Meaning they're expelling the excess calories in the waste stream. That is the only explanation that I can give you. Because when people say things like, well, when you eat all meat, you know, you don't get hungry. They're right. But I'm telling you, when I, when I routinely just kind of sit back and go, well, what have I been eating? And I add it up, right? And I'm going, uh, I averaged that week about 3,100 calories a day. And I lost two pounds. I know I'm not burning 3,100 calories a day because my activity level and my BMR don't add up to that. It's not that far off, you know. I could probably be eating 26, 27, but I can't be doing this. Conventional wisdom says I should have put weight on, but yet it came off. Here's how I look at it. If you get a fire, and it's like a smoldering wet log fire, it's burning, but it's smoldering and wet, and you throw a dry, good quality piece of wood on there, eventually it'll start up and it'll burn. But if you get hot coals, or a fire that's running optimally, you can even take a wet log and throw it on there. It'll dry out in a matter of minutes and burn up and burn efficiently. That's what we're doing with our bodies when we feed the things our bodies evolved to consume. Vegetables, fruits, seeds, nuts, meats, and natural fats. 
If you can't pick it up off the ground and eat it in its natural state, just by giving it a shine with your shirt and cleaning it off, and, uh, you know, again, there are modern realities to meat being dangerous if you eat it raw, not handled 100% perfectly, but you could eat it in its natural state, or you can't. And, and if you think about our paleo ancestors, that's what they ate. They ate the things they could pick up and eat. And I believe that modern medical wisdom is tainted by dollars and money and government interference and, and researchers being hired to prove a result that people want before the research begins rather than pure research. And I believe that's true in all walks of our modern life. And I believe even Dwight Eisenhower warned us about that in his farewell address. You can go look that up. I played it for you guys in the past. Uh, but I think you'll find that research institutions and military-industrial complex have changed reality by giving us the results they want us to have versus the results that actually come up. And I believe, even though I say belief doesn't matter, I believe there are facts to prove that. Um, I also want to tell you what I think a lot of people will bring up. Well, I know this guy, and he eats, or I eat rice and wheat, and I'm a vegetarian, or I eat very little meat, and I eat all this stuff that you don't eat, and I'm healthy. Fine. Some people can get away with it. Uh, first of all, we don't know if you are as healthy as you're capable of. You might be blessed with genetics. You might have a predisposition to be able to handle foods like that. But there's no guarantee if we tested your performance, put you on a well-designed paleo diet, and tested your performance again, you wouldn't improve. No guarantee. Let's say that it doesn't even happen. Let's say you're the same both ways. Let's say you're better on your gruel, whatever. Um, I know people that smoke camel no filters, live to the 90 years of age, and don't get lung cancer. It doesn't mean that smoking cigarettes is good for us now, does it? My grandfather drank like a fish. He smoked camel no filters. He lived a very unhealthy lifestyle by anyone's meaning of the word. He had black lung from working in the coal mines. His body was busted and broken from construction work and coal mining. Okay? But he lived into his 90s. So does that mean that that's what we should all do? Go work in coal mines, get our bodies bruised, busted, and destroyed, suck in coal dust, smoke camel no filters? No. I'll also tell you this. Yes, you can take a diet in just about any intake of food and using calories in, calories out, and basic nutritional guidelines and create a person that will perform fairly well and look healthy. If you count the calories and the portions and everything else. My entire point about this paleo lifestyle is I don't count calories. I don't count portions. I don't count grams of this or grams of that. I don't worry about it. Whatever I feel like eating that day, I take a variety of things, I throw it on my plate, and I freaking eat it. So... Sure, I can do that with protein that is based on soy. I can do that with bread. I can do that with vegetables mixed with that stuff and rice and potatoes. But if I don't count the portions and the caloric intake, it's a recipe for people to become fat. So one works without counting and one works only if we count. We, you know, I'm just saying you have to consider that before you write things like this off. I also want to talk about this. I've had a lot of people since we had Doc Fermento on that said, how do we know that ancient people ate fermented vegetables like sauerkraut and things like that? Here's how we know that. Um, if you are a hunter-gatherer, you can only eat so much of food as you find it. Seasons change and harvest times change, and eventually you go through a period of lean times. It's just the way that it is. So it's natural to believe that even if you didn't understand fermentation, that you would try to take vegetables and fruits and meats and berries and seeds and anything with you 
and put them away in some form and keep them for as long as they would keep before they would go bad. All right? If you do that, things naturally ferment. As far as like things like lactobacillus bacterium that are enhanced by fermentation, understand that that stuff's everywhere. And back before the days of modern society, when we became so much more enlightened, people just picked stuff off the ground and ate it. I'm not saying it's healthy to do that. I'm saying that if a, if a, a species does that long enough, they develop a resistance to the bad and they take in the good. So literally everything that human beings consumed until modern society and modern sanitation was literally swimming with bacteria, 90% or more of which was beneficial. And their immune systems were much higher. So, uh, for instance, people will argue, Jesus didn't drink, well, the purists, right? Jesus didn't drink wine. He drank grape juice. They just called it wine. Nonsense. Squeeze a grape, leave it sit around without refrigeration, it's going to turn into wine, folks. That's what happens to it. Wine itself was a method of preservation. Right, So any type of fruit juice is going to ferment. One of the earliest things that human beings, long before agriculture figured out, would help preserve things was salt. How do you make sauerkraut? You salt vegetables. So that's why I believe fermented foods play a role here. I don't think that they're uh, required. But I think if you can teach yourself to eat a little bit of them, you'll bring back the natural bacteria that was in the natural food chain that we today have to scrub away because of all the things that are out there that contaminate things that didn't used to be there. So it's a way of supplementing. Think of it like a vitamin pill. Um, I also want to tell you why I believe anthropology over ideology. Because I can look at a skeleton, and I can look at a spectrographic scan of, scan of a skeleton, and I can see what the person ate. All right? Your ideology can't provide that for me. You, your ideology, if you're a purist uh, from uh, the Abrahamic religions, Jew, Christian, Muslim, uh, that says humanity and it is only existed for 10,000 years... Um, I actually believe that's a great number to use because that's modern humanity has list, you know, I think they're right. But I think if you have to take it as a purist and say that that's when Adam and Eve were created and before that there were no humans, um, then I think you're trying to be a literalist. And when somebody can dig up bones and show me with carbon dating that they're 40,000 years old and it's basically a human being, then I believe the science over the ideology. And I think when I'm making decisions about my life, I'm going to stick to science over ideology. It doesn't mean I'm going to throw away spirituality and religion and faith. It believes, I mean, the two can coexist. But if one is diametrically opposed to the other, I have to judge the facts on the ground. So it really bugs me when I bring these things up. And people always want to say, well, I believe this or I believe that. But Fine. But what do you base that belief on? Why do you believe what you believe? If it's just because of your interpretation of some spiritual book, whether it's the Koran or the Bible or the Torah... You have to ask yourself, you know, the people that wrote those books wrote it based on their understanding and their time frame and their interpretation. And I believe their interpretation in some cases of the word of God directly into their heart. But I'm telling you, if God spoke directly to your heart today and you wrote it down as you understood it, that understanding would change over time. And I don't think it's any different. So I'm not putting anybody's religion down. I'm not telling you to turn away from your religion. I think you should stay strong in your faith, whatever it may be. But I don't think we can do that to the exclusion of science and be an enlightened people. I really do not. If we did, we'd still believe the world was flat and the earth is the center of the universe. 
And I think most of us have come that far. So maybe we need to come just a little further. I don't want to go any deeper there. I'm sure I've ruffled some feathers there, and I don't want to. I just want to be real about this. Now, the big thing that came out yesterday, too, though, was... What about how do we prep as a paleo person? How do we homestead as a paleo homesteader? Uh, and my answer is it all gets easier. Let's start out on my list that I gave you. Other than the meats, when I got you know to broccoli, spinach, cauliflower, sweet potatoes, garlic, onions, mustard, limes, lemons, uh, bok choy, cabbage, lemongrass, cucumber, artichoke, all of those things can be preserved by what? Uh, dehydration. Uh, most of them can be canned. Most of them can be flash freezed. So most of us as homesteaders have been growing or buying all of that stuff. Most of us in the United States can't grow lemons and limes, but if we want to preserve them, we go buy them when they're on sale in the market. We throw, throw them on our meat slice or slice them up in uh, you know uniform slices, throw them in our dehydrator, and we seal them up, and we can make anything from lemonade to lime juice out of that uh, by rehydrating them in water. Real, real simple. So all of the vegetable stuff is the same. Now, let's think about All the other stuff, wheat, rice, barley, all of the grain crops. Yes, if we buy them and stick them in a bucket, they are cheap, and we can store a lot of them for a little bit of money. But how many of you honestly grow barley and rice in your backyard garden? Or your little one or two or three acre homestead? And it can be done, but it's not what most people do because it takes a lot of space for a low yield, and a lot of work to get something that you could get for much cheaper by just going to buy it. So from a homesteading standpoint, and I know Fukukora figured out how to, I understand. Anything can be done. But what we can simply do in our gardens, in our permaculture systems, is grow everything else on the list. You realize that everything else on the list is easy to grow. Even something like the potato, right? You can grow potatoes. My, my family grew potatoes. My uncle still grows. My great uncle in his 90s is still up there growing lots of potatoes. But potatoes are subject to, to uh, blight and rot and other things that attack them, uh, scab and what have you, and have more complexities to grow than a sweet potato or a yam. You can get a higher yield with less work and less effort with sweet potatoes and yams. It's actually an easier crop to grow. It stores just as well. You can eat it raw, which means you don't have to cook it. So for a survivalist, right, everything that I'm talking about growing, let's leave the meat out for a second with any sanitation concerns, everything that I'm talking about growing can be processed, stored, eaten, and consumed without heat. Think about that before, you know, if you want to fight the science, let's just think about the practicality as a homesteader. A mushroom, I can slice it, I can dry it in the sun, I can rehydrate it in the water, and I can eat it just like that. I can build a little fire with a little bit of hot water, and I can make any of these things into a soup without really cooking them. Herbs, hang them up in the sun, let them dry, store them. Tomatoes, slice them up, put them on a screen, stick them out in the sun. Not saying your dehydrator is not a good idea. I use one. It works faster. It's more efficient. But it can all be every figs. I mentioned figs. You take a fig, you slice it in half, you put it out in the sun, it dries. Everything I'm talking about can be preserved without cooking. Wine. You know, you can make you make wine. You don't have to boil. It's not like beer, right? Crush the grapes. Pitch the yeast. We can make raisins out of the grapes. We dry them in the sun. Everything in the paleo diet can be processed with, with minimal effort 
and minimal energy input and convert it into something that can be stored long term. About the only thing that can't easily be done that way is most of your greens, your lettuces, your spinach, your kale, and stuff like that. Some of that stuff can be frozen. Some of it can be dehydrated, but it doesn't really work well. Here's the beauty. Those are the very things that grow in the leanest times of the year the best. Your kale, your spinach, uh, stuff like that. Your lettuces will grow right through the winter with a little bit of protection in a greenhouse. See, the Paleo Homestead is genius. We move to chickens. We can eat chickens and we can eat their eggs. That's part of the Paleo Homestead. Goats. Um, Rob's against dairy with the exception of butter and cream. That's Rob Wolf of the Paleo Solution. I see the science behind it and, and, and the brilliance behind it, uh, but I am not opposed to eating some cheese, and I do eat some cheese. And in his book, what he says is most of you will do 80% of what I say, and it will work beautifully for you. I probably do 90%. It works beautifully for me. And I was probably doing 75% before I read the book just because it came natural to me. So um, I do think that there's a place for the dairy component there, but the goat and the sheep and the cow are all beef sources. So depending on the size of the area you have and how sustainable things are, uh, those are another meat source. Rabbits, okay, don't need to say any more, meat. Anybody else on the rabbit starvation, I'm done. I, I can't deal with you anymore. It's a myth. It's about people eating rabbits in the middle of the mountain where they were starving and the rabbits were starving too. Not a well-fed, domesticated rabbit in your backyard. But all of the small livestock, the fish and aquaculture, uh, the shellfish, if we do crayfish or yabbies, there's the, the folks from, uh, I guess those are from South, uh, South Africa and uh, Australia. I don't know if you can get them here or not, but all of them would fill in the role of the meat source. Then we take in hunting and fishing. So we have native fish and we have squirrel and we have, you know, wild rabbit and we have raccoon and we have, see, I, think about that. A lot of the things that we don't think of as food sources are plentiful out there, and if we need to in hard times, we can start trapping them. I could probably take a raccoon a week uh, off my property, and they would just keep replenishing themselves. They breed quickly. Uh, that's one protein meal a week, and actually it's two. Raccoons are a fairly large protein source. And I could do that with a simple one-and-a-half coal spring trap that would cost me about $12. Uh, I could condition it using uh, walnut husks, and I could use it for the rest of my life just with the application of a little bit of oil once in a while. And I could feed myself weekly a protein meal with that one trap. If I was smart, I'd probably have six of them. And I would cure some of the meat and put it away. Uh, hogs, right? Anything you could think of from a livestock fits paleo. So to me, the paleo homestead and the paleo prepping is the easiest thing that I've ever come up with. All I'm leaving out is filling up a bunch of box, uh, uh, buckets with beans and rice and barley and wheat. Now, let's talk about beans and legumes. Rob's very much opposed to them. Uh, Rob has some specific health issues that he was able to address uh, by getting those out of his life. And he's seen better results with his clients, specifically those that also have similar problems, by doing that. So it's natural that he would write them off. I don't write them off, but I don't write them in. Beans, to me, are something that once in a while can be consumed, uh, and they definitely make a good long-term survival storage product. Their lifespan is infinite. They do have a good, not a complete, but a good protein profile. Uh, they are easy to grow. They can be fed, uh, especially before dried out, to a lot of your livestock, which are more, you know, better at, at utilizing them. So to me, like bell beans and cow peas and winter pea and all this stuff is really great stuff. We can eat a little bit of it here and there. Make, and if we're eating, give that list I gave you in the beginning, if you're eating all that crap and you throw some beans in there, it's not going to hurt anything. You're not going to be eating them every day. See, there's the beauty of my list. 
If that's your list, and it, trust me, the list gets a lot longer, you're not gonna, you go a whole month without eating the same thing twice. I mean, I could make, I could make 10,000 different dishes with just that one list of foods. The, 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 the lifestyle is extremely varied in diet. And even if I go to a homestead model where I'm producing most of my own food, it's still very varied. Now, here's another thing that came up yesterday. A lot of people said it's very expensive. It even put, put, pointed to a post on Rob's site where he admitted how expensive it can be. But it can be expensive. It doesn't have to be. First of all, the majority of the vegetative matter, you can be grown. You can produce some of your own protein. You don't always have to buy organic grass-fed pro, uh, protein sources. We can do things instead of organic with our beef, like buying grass-fed beef. It doesn't have to be organic for it to be a much higher quality. I know if those cows are out there on the range eating grass and only being supplemented in their feed with hay during a dry period, that even though that meat isn't blessed by the gods of organic, that that beef is high-quality beef. I know when I shoot at deer, I'm putting 60 to 80 pounds of meat into my freezer over the next year that's great quality protein. I know if I go out and pop two or three squirrels uh, a week during when they're in season, which in Arkansas is a very long season, you know, and I can, I can make up, you know, say 30 meals a year out of squirrel. I've got another great protein source. I know if I can go fishing and, and catch, you know, some white bass and, and maybe make up 10 meals of my year out of white bass and 10 meals a year out of, uh, of sunfish. And if I start throwing little bits of that in there, it starts to add up. I know if I get some ducks and I, you know, harvest one duck every two weeks, that's 24 meals. And it's actually more because one duck is usually more protein than you need for a single meal. So there's leftovers. So I think this whole concept that it's expensive, if you buy all your food from Whole Foods, you buy 100% organic, and you make fancy recipes with everything, like, and, and that's the one thing I don't like about Rob's book, the recipes. Um, I, it, I, it, it bores me. I want to tell you this. All the low-carb recipes out there, I actually credit that for causing me to fail my first time around with this. Many years ago, I went to a high-protein diet. I followed the program of uh, Michael and Mary Eads, uh, two doctors, physicians that wrote the Protein Power Plan. And I think one of the biggest problems with the book was in the back of the book there were recipes, including recipes that would tell me how to make a low-carb pancake. See, it put things like breads and pancakes and things like that into my mind as something I was missing out on. The list of food I gave you, since everything can be eaten in its raw natural state, if I take two or three of them together, throw in a little bit of salt, a little bit of flavoring, maybe a little bit of fish sauce, and yes, some soy sauce. There's a purpose for soybeans. I make soy sauce for, for a garnish. And I put that together. I can take and, and some herbs out of my garden and a little onions and shallots and throw that in a wok and stir fry it. I can take almost any group of ingredients out of that list and it's going to taste good. I don't need a recipe. I just need stuff. I put it together in the way that suits me on that day, and I consume it. And if it didn't come out quite right or I didn't like a certain flavor, then I take that component out the next time I make that dish. The recipes that are out there are primarily designed to appeal to people with a gourmet mentality or to appeal to people that really feel that they're missing something because there ain't a slice of bread on their plate with their food. And if you live in a world where you believe those things are necessary, or you believe that you're missing something, you're going to crave them, they're going to creep back into your life, and they're going to become part of what you're doing again, and you sabotage yourself. What I found, and like I said, if I go out to a nice steakhouse on my vacation, put some sourdough bread there with a little bit of garlic butter, hell yeah, I'm going to cut a piece of it, eat that one piece of bread. 
Because that one piece of bread that I eat in 60 days time is going to have a meaningless effect on the overall spectrum of my life. It's good. I enjoy it for what it is. But it doesn't taste as good as I remember. I'm telling you, your taste buds, when you take all this fake gruel-based crap, these high-starch and high-sugar component foods that are unnaturally processed, and I'm sorry, if you take wheat, cut it down, thresh it, grind it, mix it, and bake it, it's not natural anymore. You wouldn't eat it in its natural state. When we do that, we create all of these variances in our food, and we create something that's very, very sweet to us. Even bread is sweet. If you take a cracker and break a piece of it, put it on your tongue, and wait, as the starch conversion happens with your saliva, you will taste the sweetness. These things become addictive to us. But when we break the addiction, we realize that more than half of the experience in eating them was an illusion created by eating them all the time. And mixing other things like fats in with them. And creating this highly addictive food that we call healthy. But to me it's not healthy. And recipes, by and large, reinforce the stigma that we were missing something in there. Because we try to create substitutions. Instead of just saying, this is what we used to eat, so I'm going to eat it now. And I promise you, if you build a lifestyle off of that list of foods I gave you, and because I know somebody's going to ask for it, Because don't eat rice and pasta. If it does, because if it doesn't taste good naturally, don't eat it. Won't be good enough for some people. I will link to that doc. I'll save that document, and put it up there. And if you guys start adding to it, I bet you we can make it 20 pages long if we want to. I just filled up two pages as quick as I could this morning. And with that, I don't need recipes. And my final thought on this today is: if you doubt every bit of it, buy Rob Rob Wolf's book. Read it, get an understanding of the science, and humor me and Rob and Dr. Menno and all the other people commenting, hey, I did it and lost 50 pounds or what have you, and do it for 30 days. And see how you feel and see what your results are. If you insist, go to the doctor, get your blood cholesterols, your blood pressure, everything. And do it for, don't do it for a day and say, oh, I don't feel good on it. It's a new thing. Your body's going to have to adapt. You're going to go through something called ketosis, which is perfectly safe for you if you don't have kidney problems already. right? You're going to start burning fat and excreting the waste matter in your urine. Even if you're eating more than you're burning, that's what's going to happen. That's what this process does. You're probably going to, in the first week, not feel that great. Do it for 30 days. Hardcore, 100% for 30 days. And then let me know how you feel. And then go back to your doctor and get the results. And when your doctor says, well, I don't know what you're doing. It's working, but it can't be this meat and fat stuff because that doesn't work. Realize, realize who wrote the curriculum that he went to school for so many years to learn. The pharmaceutical companies and the government. And then ask yourself a question before you put all your faith in wheat and rice and grain. Do you, as a general rule, trust government and pharmaceutical companies. Because your resistance to this idea, if you have it, is based on opinions planted into society by those two groups. Because it's medicine and government, and medicine is backed and funded 100% today by pharmaceuticals. So you're trusting government, pharmaceuticals, and big ag like Monsanto and Conagra when you believe that this stuff is good for you the way that they tell you. So all I'm saying is give me 30 days. You've given them your whole life. 
Try it for 30 days. As far as storing and homesteading, we'll do more on this. I'll go deeper into the paleo homestead and paleo food storage next week with specific techniques and items and ideas and objects. It's not going to become the theme of the show, but it is something I'm excited about and I'm going to talk about in the future. With that, I hope this is a great show leading up into your weekend. I hope you're going to have a great Friday. And now, as promised earlier this week, Hank Williams Jr.'s new song, uh, I think he's going to trump Greg and me for having more success with his new song called Keep the Change, again by Hank Williams Jr. in response to the hack job that was done on him by Monday Night Football and Fox and Friends. I'll keep my freedom, I'll keep my guns, try to keep my money, And my religion too Try to keep on working Try to keep on smiling I will keep my Christian name And y'all can keep the change I'll keep my heroes Pictures on the wall I'll keep my family safe You bluff and I'll call I'm gonna keep my big V8 Keep my friends the same Keep the government out of my business And y'all can keep the change This country sure as hell Been going down the drain We know what we need We know who to blame United Socialist States of America How do you like that name? I'll keep the USA and y'all Want to put me down Ask for my opinion Then twist it all around Supposed to be Talking about my father's new CD Well two can play that gotcha game Just wait and see Don't tread on me This country sure as hell Been going down the drain We know what we need We know who to blame United Socialist State America, don't you just love that name? I'll keep the USA and y'all can keep the change. I'll keep the USA and y'all can keep the change. Yeah, you can keep Fox and Friends and ESPN out of your homes, too. Cephas and all his rowdy friends and his song is out of there.